Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me this morning to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to look at the first 18 verses. 1 Kings 19 verses 1 through 18. Over the last 2,000 years, there have been many faithful men and women who chose to die a martyr's death rather than deny Christ. Of the 12 apostles, all but one of them chose death rather than deny Christ. The only one who did not die a martyr's death, John, spent out his latter years as an exile for his faith. But one of those martyrs was a man you've probably never heard of called Balthazar Humbire. Balthazar Humbire was an Anabaptist pastor back in the 16th century. What does Anabaptist mean? That, that just means he was Baptist when being Baptist would get you killed. That's what it meant. Uh, but back in 1815, uh, this man was arrested. He was tortured. He was told to recant that if he did not deny his faith, he would be burned at the stake. Well, on that day, he did not recant. He did not deny his preaching. And witnesses who were present claim that he praised the Lord until his last breath and that he appeared to experience more joy than he did pain. Balthazar Humbar was a great man of God who demonstrated tremendous courage, but let me tell you something else about him. Two times before that time he was arrested in 1528, Balthazar Humbire was arrested and he was tortured and he was threatened. And on both of those occasions, he did deny the faith. Under tremendous pressure, he recanted and both times he repented and God forgave him and restored him and he went back to preaching the gospel again. This last few months we've been talking about this theme called courage over fear in the book of Joshua. We finished that up last week uh, but I want to carry this idea forward one more Sunday. I want to talk about when your courage fails. Because even if we apply all of those principles that we learned over the last few months, there still will be times in our lives where we should have been courageous, but we were not. There will be those times where we should have spoken out. We should have witnessed to someone. We should have stood up for what we believe, but we did not. Now, the good news is, just like Balthasar Humbier, you may have blown it yesterday, but you can still be a courageous man or woman of God today. And so in our scripture this morning, we're going to look at this man named Elijah. If you've read 1 Kings, you already know he was one of the most courageous men in all of the Bible. Two times, Elijah stood up to King Ahab and confronted him face to face about his sin. And yet, when we come to chapter 19, we find out that even Elijah had that low point in his life 
Even Elijah had that moment where his courage just seemed to disappear. And as we read this story this morning, there are a couple of lessons that I believe that we can learn from him, some things that we need to know and remember, especially when we failed, when we're at the end of our ropes. First of all, I want you to notice that there are some dangers we need to avoid. I want to talk to you about some dangers that we need to avoid. Look at verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Let me remind you of the context. Ahab was the evil king of Israel. And his wife Jezebel was the evil queen of Israel. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Well, what had Elijah done? Well, we see that story in chapter 18. He challenged Ahab and all the prophets of Baal to a contest. They met on Mount Carmel. They built two altars. And both the prophets of Baal and Elijah built altars and prayed that God would send fire down to consume their sacrifice. They all agreed that whatever God responded to their praying was the one true God. Of course, the prophets of Baal cried out to Baal all day long, but he did not respond because he is not real. Finally, it was Elijah's turn. He told them to soak his altar wet three times before he prayed. And then finally, he prayed a very simple, sincere prayer. No fanfare. But when he prayed, in that moment, the Bible says that the fire fell the sacrifice was consumed, and when the people saw it, they all cried out, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! It was a great victory for Elijah. Now, when that happened, when the people found out that Baal was a false god and his prophets were false prophets, those false prophets were put to death. Now, remember, these prophets of Baal had been appointed by Jezebel. That's right. The queen of Israel had appointed these false prophets because her goal was to replace the worship of Yahweh in Israel with the worship of Baal. So when she found out what happened on Mount Carmel, when she found out what they did to her prophets, here is how she responded in verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You understand that's not really a threat. That was a promise. She promised him that he would be a dead man within 24 hours. She decided that as of that moment, her top priority was to kill Elijah the prophet. Well, how did Elijah respond? Based on what we know about him, based on everything we've seen, we expect that he responded by courageously trusting in the Lord to protect him, right? No. 
Look at verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Notice those words, he ran for his life. Elijah was so afraid of Jezebel, if you look it up on the map, it turns out he ran about 110 miles to get away from her. Now, I'll tell you, I've been afraid of a lot of people and a lot of things in my life. I don't know that I have ever run 110 miles away from anything. But we see this and we want to ask Elijah, Elijah, why are you running? He's running because in his mind, Jezebel is bigger than she really is. He's running because he has made her out to be more powerful than she really was. And this is where we see one of the dangers that we need to recognize and avoid, especially when we have failed, when we have fallen. It is this danger that we have of, of exaggerating our problems. The danger of exaggerating our problems. Just like Peter, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, when he was walking on the water, started to look at the waves, started to see the size of the waves, he forgot how big his Jesus is. Look at verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? Where you just threw yourself a pity party? Elijah said, oh, Lord, just take me home. I'm no better than those other prophets they killed. I'm ready to die. We know he did not mean it. You know how we know that he did not mean it? Because if Elijah really wanted to die, all he had to do was just stay right there where he was. And Jezebel was more than willing to help him with that. When I read this, I, I kind of wonder... Where is the Elijah that we saw on Mount Carmel? Where is the Elijah who prayed and the heavens withheld rain for three and a half years? Where is the Elijah who prayed for the widow's son and God raised him back to life? Where's that Elijah who prayed and fire fell from heaven? Let me ask you, isn't the same God who can withhold rain and raise the dead and send fire, is he not capable of protecting Elijah from Jezebel? Jezebel. Of course he is. Jezebel's not in control here. God's in control. A few verses earlier, Elijah had so much courage, and now he's running for his life because one person threatened to kill him. Now, folks, this is what happens if we take our eyes off of God. Our problems seem bigger and God appears smaller. 
We have to look out for the danger of exaggerating our problems. But there's one other danger that we see we need to look out for. There's the danger of isolation. The danger of isolation. In verse 3, the Bible says he had a servant, but he left his servant in Beersheba. Maybe he had good intentions. Maybe he thought, it's bad enough that my life is in danger. I don't want to endanger his life as well. So he left him behind. The problem is now Elijah is physically all by himself. He has isolated himself. And when you are isolated, you feel like you're alone even when you're not. In fact, you take the strongest believer and you isolate them long enough, you cut them off from the Word of God and the people of God, and you know what will probably happen before long? They'll be like a scared turtle hiding in its shell. Hey, if this can happen to Elijah, don't you think for one moment it can't happen to you or to me. And Elijah, in his isolation, he has forgotten everything that God has done for him. Listen to what Elijah said in verse 10. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. As we notice Elijah's prayer, some of what he's saying, in fact, most of what he is saying is actually true. Has Elijah been zealous for the Lord? Oh, he absolutely has. Have the children of Israel forsaken the covenant? Oh, yes, they did. Did they tear down the altars? Yes. Had they killed the prophets with the sword? Many of them, yes. But what about that last part? Was Elijah the only one left? No. In verse 18, God said he had 7,000 more who had not worshipped Baal. But you know what? Elijah wasn't thinking about them because he was only thinking about himself. And you might notice there are a few other things that are missing from Elijah's prayer. Some other things that perhaps he could have said, he should have said. Why didn't he talk about the ravens God sent to feed him those three and a half years during the drought? Well, why, why didn't he mention the revival that had taken place on Mount Carmel? These are amazing things, miraculous things that God had done, and he should have been celebrating those things. But all that has escaped his memory. It's a whole lot easier to focus on the negative things that are happening in your life when you don't have anyone else around you to tell you any differently. One of the reasons why we need to stay connected to each other, we need to stay connected to the body of Christ is so that we can remind each other of God's faithfulness and God's blessings I alone, by myself, I will forget. But if I'm there to remind you, and if you are there to remind me, then together we can help each other to remember, and we can help each other to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
So we need to look out for these dangers, the danger of exaggerating our problems, thinking that they're bigger than they really are, the danger of isolation, isolating ourselves from the people of God. But then there's another side of this that I want us to see. Not only are there some dangers we should avoid, but there are some remedies we need. When our courage has failed us, when we've fallen, there are some remedies that we need. In the rest of this story, we're going to notice four things in particular that God gave Elijah and God uh, is willing to give us the first two. I want to mention together, we need rest and we need nourishment. And when I talk about rest and nourishment, I'm talking about both spiritual and physical rest and nourishment. Look at verse 5. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. A moment ago, Elijah prayed and asked God to please take his life. Well, here is God's answer to Elijah's prayer. Instead of taking his life, God preserved his life. Elijah fell asleep. Sometime later, he gets a nudge, and there's an angel awakening him by his head. There was a cake. It really was an angel food cake. And he gets up, and he eats, he drinks the water, and what does he do? He goes right back to sleep again. Sometime later, angel nudges him again. He wakes up again. He eats again. He drinks again. And God just gives him supernatural strength at this point, 40 days and 40 nights until he gets to Horeb, the mountain of God. But listen, Elijah did not need one meal to get right. He did not need one nap to get right. He needed multiple meals and multiple naps in order to get right. Now, before anything else, God has some other things he's going to do, some other things he's going to teach Elijah. But before any of that other stuff happens, first... Elijah needed to sleep, and he needed to eat. You know, it really is possible for a person to get down, to get discouraged, even depressed, and it's not entirely spiritual. Sometimes part of the problem is actually physical. And a lot of people make the mistake of focusing on one or the other. You've got the gym rats who focus on their bodies but give no time to God. But then you have others who just ignore their physical health. Well, really, we need both. And this may not apply to all of you, but it probably applies to some of you. You actually need to take time for sleep. Uh, you need to be in that habit of a Sabbath day's 
rest. God has given it to us for worship, but also because we need it. In fact, I believe that if you will be in the habit of taking the Sabbath day as a day of rest, you'll be able to accomplish more in six days than you would have accomplished in seven days. Well, we, just like Elijah, we need rest, we need nourishment, but there's something else we need. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one. We need to hear from God. We need to hear from God. Verse 8 says, Elijah traveled to Horeb. Horeb was also known as Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, as in the mountain where Moses received the Ten Commandments. You know why I think Elijah went to Horeb? I think he went to Horeb because that was the one place where he just believed he was going to hear from God. He probably said to himself, God spoke to Moses on that mountain. Maybe if I go there, God will speak to me on that mountain. Now, we know he didn't have to go to any particular mountain in order to hear from God. But he had that place. Maybe you have that place in your life when you really need to get alone, when you really need to hear from God. That's the place where you go. Elijah went to Mount Horeb, and God did speak to the prophet. Notice in verse 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Think about that question. God's not asking because he doesn't know, because he wants to, the answer. No, God is asking Elijah that question because he wants him to ask himself that question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you fleeing? Why are you so afraid of Jezebel? Why have you cut yourself off from everyone else? I want you to skip to verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a what? Still, small voice. As Elijah stood on that mountain waiting to hear from God. All of a sudden, here comes this wind. And yes, the Lord was present. He was the cause. But the Bible says that the Lord was not in the wind. I'm sure Elijah began to feel that wind blowing against him, doing everything he could just to remain on his feet without falling over. He thought, surely this is it. Now God is going to speak. But no, it's just a wind. And then the ground begins to shake, and he thinks once again, surely this is it. Now God is going to speak. It was just an earthquake. And then there's some kind of fire. The Bible doesn't give us all the details, but there's some kind of fire. And he, maybe he thought, well, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush, so this surely is it. Now God is going to speak. But no, it was just a fire. 
The encounter with God that Elijah so desperately needed was not found in any of these things. But then finally, after all of that, the Bible says there was a still, small voice. Many people think that God only speaks through big things and in big ways. A lot of people think, well, if God is going to speak, there must be a wind or an earthquake or a fire, uh, something big, something loud. Well, not so. Every now and then someone will ask me the question, well, well, pastor, has God ever spoken to you personally? And I say, absolutely. And normally that question is followed by, does he speak in an audible voice? To which I reply, oh no, it's much louder than that. Those of you who have experienced this know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who have not, it's kind of hard to even explain it. I do want to stop, however, and just point out one thing. God speaks to us primarily through His Word. He speaks as we read His Word. He speaks to us through the Word of God that has been hidden in our hearts. Sometimes God speaks to us by causing us to remember some verse of Scripture in just the moment that we need it. And of course, in order for this to happen, we must know God's Word and read God's Word and hide God's Word in our hearts. We certainly should never claim that anything God speaks to us individually is anywhere near on the level of what God says in this book, which alone is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. Now, that being said, I want to point out, there are those times in our lives where God will speak to us something where there is not a book, chapter, and verse in the Bible telling us exactly what to do. There is not a verse that says, it's 9 p.m., call so-and-so and encourage them. There's not a verse in the Bible that says, don't take that job. Go here, go there, do this, do that. And so what happens is, as we hear God speak through his word, we get accustomed to the sound of God's voice. I have a friend who's a pastor in Alabama. His wife is an identical twin. Nobody else can tell them apart. He can tell them apart. When they speak, no one else can differentiate their voices. He can tell the difference because he spent so much time with his wife. When she and her sister are together, he can close his eyes and hear them speak. He automatically knows which one is his wife, which one is his sister. Why? Because he has heard her voice so many times. He's familiar with the sound of her voice. And likewise, when we read God's word, when God speaks to us through God's word, we become familiar with the sound of God speaking through his word and then perhaps at times in our lives, I'm not going to say this is an everyday thing, but there are those times in our lives where indeed God may well speak to us and we recognize his voice. I'll give you a personal example. Again, I don't claim this is something that happens uh, all the time, but I can remember years ago, somebody who was visiting First Baptist Church of Homestead gave me a Hindi Bible. And they said, well, I don't speak Hindi, but I've got this Bible, and maybe one day uh, somebody will visit your church who does, and then you can give it to them. You know that Bible sat on a shelf in our office for about seven years. In seven years, we never had one single person who visited our church who speaks the Hindi language. 
It just sat there gathering dust because nobody could read it. One day, I was getting ready to leave the office, and all I can say is that something just stopped me. I felt in my heart that God was telling me to go back and grab that Hindi Bible. And so, I did. And a few hours later, I met someone of Indian descent. And you know what that person told me? They found out I was a pastor. We were having a conversation. They said, I have been looking and looking and looking for a Bible in my heart language, but I haven't been able to find a Hindi Bible anywhere. And I was able to say, I just happen to have one right here. Now, all I can say is on that particular day, I believe God spoke through that still small voice. Lest you think I am patting myself on the back, let me tell you, I wonder how many more times God spoke to Howard Harden, but I simply was not listening. And I wonder how many times God speaks to us, but we don't listen. There's so much commotion, so much noise, so much competition. We don't hear him speak. And sometimes we're like Elijah. We've got to get to the end of our rope. We've got to hit bottom, so to speak, until we're finally willing to stop what we're doing and listen and allow God to speak to us. But hear me carefully. The problem is never God's willingness to speak the problem is always, always our willingness to listen. That's always the problem. Well, just like Elijah, we need rest. We need nourishment. We need to hear from God. But there's something else that we need. We need to keep serving. We need to continue serving God. For the second time, Elijah is asked that question, what are you doing here? And once again, he gives the same answer. I've been zealous. Israel's abandoned the covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed the prophets. I'm all alone. I want you to notice how God responds this time. Because God's answer to Elijah is not anything like what we expect that it's going to be. In verse 15, then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Maholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Notice what God does. He gives him rest. He gives him nourishment. He speaks to him and then God gives him something to do. He gives him a new assignment, a mission. He says, Elijah, I have work for you. I'm not finished with you. Now, listen to me very, very carefully. 
whatever you do, do not allow yesterday's failure to keep you from today's obedience. Don't allow yesterday's failure to keep you from being faithful in the here and now. Because if you're still here, God's not finished. If you're still here, God's not finished. God told Elijah to anoint Hazael as king of Syria. Why? Because God is going to use Hazael in order to defend Elijah from his enemies. That's why. And then he says, when you're done with that, I want you to go to Jehu and anoint him as the new king of Israel. Well, Israel already had a king, King Ahab. Oh, but God knows that Ahab's days are coming to an end. Jezebel's days are coming to an end. And so as an act of faith, God says, I want you to go ahead and anoint Jehu as king of Israel right now. And I think it is very, very significant that God told Elijah to anoint his replacement, Elisha. God didn't have to do it that way. God could have just called Elisha some other way, but he said, no, Elijah, I want you to go to him and you anoint him to take your place. That was God's way of saying, Elijah, I was working before you got here and I'll still be at work after you are gone. And we need to remember that as well. We have this bad habit, and let me tell you, pastors especially, we have this bad habit of thinking, well, now that I've arrived, God is here and God is at work. No, God was working before you got here, and God will still be at work after we have gone home. Now, you put aside this one episode of Elijah's life, if you look at the rest of his life, other than what happened in chapter 19, you will come to the conclusion that Elijah was a brave and courageous man of faith. He was a faithful servant of God. 2,000 years ago, you know what God did? He sent another servant he sent a servant who is greater than Elijah. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And it's amazing the similarities that we see between Elijah and Jesus. For example, just like Elijah, Jesus preached. Just like Elijah, Jesus performed miracles. Just like Elijah... Jesus raised the son of a widow from the dead. Just like Elijah, Jesus multiplied food to feed the hungry. Just like Elijah, Jesus confronted sinners and he called them to repentance. Just like Elijah, Jesus was threatened. But unlike Elijah, his courage never failed. Unlike Elijah, when Jesus was threatened, he did not flee, but he willingly laid down his life on the cross for you and for me. He came from heaven to earth and he lived the life we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died on the cross. And then Ladies and gentlemen, on that third day, when Jesus rose from the dead, 
Once again, God spoke, but this time God did not speak through a still, small voice. This time God shouted through an empty tomb. Because his courage never failed, because he died and rose again, and because he lives, that means that now we can have the courage to follow him wherever he leads, whatever it means, whatever it requires. And it means if you don't know him, you can have the courage and you can take that step and say, I'm going to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord of my life today. Will you join me as we pray right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story from your word. We thank you that the Bible is honest about its heroes. We thank you that when we read the scriptures, we not only read about their victories, we read about their defeats, we read about their failures, because we need to be reminded of that as well, that they were men and women like us. And Father, we can learn from their mistakes. So we thank you that you give us in your word this story about Elijah, the low point of his life. But we thank you that even though his courage disappeared, even though he ran away, you were not finished with him. That you still forgave him, you restored him, you sent him back to work, and he kept serving until that day. Fiery chariots came, and you called them home. And so, Father, I pray this morning you'd help all of us to take what we've read and apply this to our lives, that if we failed yesterday, that we would realize we can still be courageous men and women of God today. I pray for that man or woman or that boy or girl or that young person who this morning needs to come to Christ, needs to... Be brave enough to take that step of faith. And we pray that by your grace, uh, Lord, you would give them the bravery that they need to follow Jesus. We know that the further and further this world gets from you, God, the more bravery, the more courage it's going to require to follow Jesus. But Father, I pray you'd give them the grace to take that step and have faith and say, yes, I will follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of my life today. Father, would you speak to us in these next moments and show us what you'd have us to do, how you'd have us respond to your word. We'll give you the praise, the glory in Jesus' name.